Hey guys, I'm so glad you're joining us tonight for worship. Um, we'll say a quick thank you again to Stephen and Lance um, and Toby for helping us out with music tonight. Um, hey, and if you didn't know, I just want to remind you because, you know, everybody loses track of the days and we're all not really sure what's going on right now. This Sunday is Mother's Day. So at the very least, tell your mom thank you for putting up with you and for like, you know, making you be in this world um, because that's a big deal. And you're here because uh, she wanted you to be. So here's the deal. Let your mom know that you love her and tell her happy Mother's Day this Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Today, we are going to continue our series you asked for it with a topic that was actually very commonly asked, not only um, in, it's, it's very commonly asked not only in today's um, time, but it has been even when John um, did his Q&A series a couple weeks, a couple months ago, actually. Um, and, and that's this question. How do you talk to someone who believes differently than you about Jesus? How do we have those conversations? So today we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, and we're going to break that down um, and see what Peter tells us. Um, and Peter's actually a really reliable source for that because Peter was the kind of guy who's a lot like me. And he, if he was in a situation where he felt um, like he had something to say, which was pretty much every situation, um, he was going to say it. And he had a lot of moments where he would stick his foot in his mouth, where he would think he was talking for Jesus. Um, and then Jesus would very quickly correct him and tell him that he needed to check himself before he wrecked himself, except he wrecked himself quite a few times. And by the time he gets around to writing this letter, he is um, leading in the church across the world. He's doing awesome things um, for the kingdom of God. And he writes this letter specifically to a group of churches in what we now call Turkey in East, um, or sorry, yeah, Southeast Europe, Western Asia, somewhere in there, right? So the point of this letter is to talk to this group of people who are following Jesus and they are very close to being in the middle of some of the worst treatment that Christians in the world have ever seen. The Roman Emperor Nero was about to take over um, and he was going to be awful to the Christians. In fact, he was going to go so far as to take some of them, use their bodies soaked in oil after they were dead to be street lamps in the cities. Okay, this guy was bad news for the church across the world. I mean, he hadn't come quite yet, but Peter knew that bad things were coming. And so he wrote this letter to his people in Turkey. And he's, he's wanting to show them, how do you follow Jesus knowing that everybody around you is not only going to disagree with you, but maybe even get really violent about it. And then we get to chapter three. So if you've got your paper Bibles, make sure they're turned to 1 Peter chapter three. We're going to read verses 13 through 15, and then we're going to break it down. Okay, here's what he says. 1 Peter three thirteen. Now, who is there to harm you, even if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. There's a little bit more there um, in verse 15, but we're going to come back to that here in a second. Let's pray real quick. Let's break this down and see how to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with this. Let's go. Father, thank you for this chance that we get to gather around your word and to study it. I pray that you use it to speak to us and that you teach us something um, and that you would use me um, to carry your words um, to anyone who's watching on the other side of this camera. God, I pray that you would wake them up to, um, to know your love and your goodness um, and to be able to share that with everyone around them unashamedly. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we picked these verses to talk about this topic because I think a lot of Christians in the world, at least I know I was, have been trained with one of these verses, with verse 15, on how to 
or, or not necessarily how to, but at least the reason why we should be talking to other people about Jesus. There are other verses that speak to this. Excuse me, the Great Commission in Matthew, at the end of the, at the, end of the book, Jesus says, go um, and, and teach all that I have commanded you to the people around you. You know, baptize them, make disciples of them. He tells us to do that there. But this verse um, puts a pretty specific calling on us. It tells us that we should do something very clear. And that is that we should be ready or, or be prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone who asks us why we have hope. And I, I want to break this down into three sections because I think when it comes to this verse, there are three things we need to recognize. Number one, what we think we know about this verse. Number two, what's actually true about this verse. And then number three, what we should do in response to that. So here's what I see. I think that when we look at verse 15 and he says that we need to give a defense or to make a defense for the hope that is in us, I think we read give a defense and we automatically translate that to make an offense. And here's what I mean by that. What, what is a defense really? What's it used for? Well, it's used as a response to an attack or to an offensive. Defense is something that is reactionary. It's something that is a response. But we don't put ourselves in very many situations where this is necessary. When's the last time someone asked you about why you have hope in following Jesus. And you might hear me say that and think, well, I, sometimes I don't feel like I even have hope. I've grown up in church all my life, but I don't really know if, if, that's, if that's what's true about my life. I don't, I don't think I can say that I've experienced that. So here's my first question for you. Before we do anything, before we say anything about how to have a conversation with other people who disagree with us, we have to ask the question, do we even have a hope within us? Are we following Jesus? Do we have a relationship with him? Because if we don't, then the rest of what we're about to talk about doesn't really make much of a difference. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you do, how much has it changed you? I, don't think, I think that because we don't get in a lot of situations where we have to respond to others who are asking us about what we believe, that it makes us think that we have to go start conversations with people that that just kind of come off the bat with, hey, did you know that you're a sinner and, and you need Jesus and you, you're going to go to hell if you don't? But there's hope because Jesus died for you. And here's what's crazy. The Bible says we do need to have conversations like that. We do need to start conversations with people who believe differently than us. But because we never really put ourselves in situations, even though even before social distancing started, even before all of this staying at home was true for us, we were in schools and, and, and even at church with people who may not know who Jesus is. And I guarantee you there are people that are in your schools and maybe even in your family who don't know who Jesus is. But we're not having conversations about it and we're told that we need to, but because none of them ever happen, we think that all of them have to be this way. And that gives us major performance anxiety. That we think, what if they don't like us? What if they get afraid? What if they think that Jesus actually isn't that good of a guy and they're going to want to stop talking with me and not be my friend? And so we freak out about it. It gives us massive anxiety. How do I give a defense when nobody's asking me? And the answer to that question is you put yourself in positions where people are going to ask you about why you have hope in following Jesus. And it could be as simple as asking someone, hey, do you have a faith? This happened with Corbin and I when we went to L.A. last September for vacation we were only there for a couple of days, so we didn't rent a car or anything. We just took Ubers everywhere. And every Uber driver that we sat in the car with, we tried to get the conversation to a point where we could say, hey, do you have a faith? Do you believe in something higher than yourself? And to be honest with you, it's crazy how fast you can get there. Because the question, do you have a faith, is very simple and it's very easy. 
You need to ask people that don't know Jesus, or at least that you think don't know Jesus. You need to ask them intentional questions about their lives and about their beliefs. Be on purpose about it. Everybody is longing for this and hurting for this. If you watched our Instagram live a couple, a couple weeks ago, when I sat down with Kirby Minnick and we talked about social media, we talked about how the people who reacted to the Avengers movie with the emotion that they did reacted that way because we all have this deep need for someone to come make all the bad things untrue. So people wanna have these conversations. They're just afraid because other Christians have painted a bad name for us that we're going to get into that conversation and be really mean about it. But the question, do you have a faith, is simple and it's easy and it can start a really good conversation about Jesus. So now that we know that we think that it's overwhelming and that it's, that it's this burden that we can't carry, but the reality is it's never been our burden to carry. Jesus never gave us that responsibility. Here's what I mean by that. What is true about this verse is that through Jesus, we can prepare a defense. Look at verses 13 and 14. Here's what he says. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And then in verse 14, he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, these are two examples of a very big truth. In fact, in verse 14, when he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, he's actually quoting the book of Isaiah. And if you've been with us in middle school ministry for very long, you know that, that in the olden, olden times of, his, of Israel's history, there was a group of people called the Assyrians that were terrible news. They were evil. They were mean. They would skin their victims and then lay that skin on the city walls to freak people out. One historian even recorded that, that the Assyri- one of the Assyrian kings boasted about in his own records that he had made a, a, a mound of human heads outside the city that was so high that people couldn't see the top of it. And, and the point here is this is a group of people who were constantly a threat to, the people, to, God, to God's people. And God tells them, do not be afraid of them because I will fight for you. I will redeem you. And if you read 2 Kings 18 and 19, you can see just exactly how Jesus did that. He came in and he killed 185,000 of them for them. And so Peter, by quoting this part of Isaiah, is taking all of that emotion, he's taking all of that drama, and he's inserting it into this conversation. When you have a conversation about faith with other people, it is true that it can feel heavy and it can feel hard and difficult because how do I prove to this person who doesn't even believe God exists? Number one, how do I prove that God exists to them? Number two, how can I prove to them that God loves them, that he created the world, that he died for them? How can I do all of this? And we feel this, this, this burden for that. But Peter says that, that this is not our responsibility to feel this responsibility. It's not our responsibility to feel the weight of turning that person around. And here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who saves. We are only called to share that truth with that person. And God will change their heart if they're ready to. So, you know, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor um, a few hundred years ago, about maybe about a hundred years ago. And he said this, it's Really cool. He said, there is no need for you to defend a lion when he is being attacked. All you need to do is open the gate and let him out. And what Spurgeon was saying there is he's he's talking about the Bible, about the gospel. You don't have to prove to other people that the gospel is true. All you have to do is to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is exactly what Peter is saying. He says, let the truth out and it will defend itself. What you can do is you can ask other people why they don't have the same hope. So what we do with this truth, this truth that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to fear these other people around us who believe differently than us, what do we do with this truth? 
He says in that last part of verse 15, he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me ask you this question. Which one do you think has the higher potential to be offensive? A statement or a question? Do you think you're going to offend more people by making a claim and a statement or by just asking them a question, especially in this conversation about differing faiths? I think the less offensive one is a question, and here's why. Questions assume that, that we don't know everything, right? If I come up to you and I say, hey, what's your name? That is way less offensive than walking up to you and say, what's up, Johnny? And your name's not actually Johnny. Now you're offended because I thought I knew, right? But I didn't. Asking a question shows you that you are equal to me and I want you to be a part of this. So we ask questions um, because it assumes that we don't know the answer and we invite the other person in as an equal and valid part of the conversation. This is gentleness and respect, right? So what questions do we ask? How do we have a conversation with someone who believes differently than us by asking questions? I think there are three types of questions we can use that, 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 that usher in gentleness and respect to, the, to this kind of conversation. First of all, clarification. Since most of us think that we've had to prove everything, our default is gonna be that we automatically start responding to anything that the other person says with whatever we might need to do to claim that what we said the first time is true. If we said that God loves them and they don't necessarily agree, then we gotta, we gotta be like, all right, we gotta do everything we can to prove to this person that God loves us. But here's the thing. You may think that God loves you and that God loves them. And they may not think the same thing because what you believe about God and what they believe about God is different. So you need to ask questions that help you understand what the other person believes. It's the biggest mistake that Christians make when we have conversations with others of differing faiths is that we assume we know what the other person believes. We think everybody thinks the same way we do. And that if they just heard the gospel the way it was presented to us, then they will understand. But that's not necessarily the case. If you fill a bus with 100 people and ask them, do you believe in God? They may all say yes, and they may all have different beliefs. So it's not exactly the same thing. Ask clarification questions. Proverbs 18, 13 says, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. So let me ask you this. How do you think we are supposed to share the hope and love of Jesus with other people if all we do is bring in foolishness and disgrace on ourselves? Do not give an answer before we listen. Ask the question Ask the kinds of questions that it takes to get more information from them until we understand what they believe. So what kinds of questions are those? Questions like this. What do you mean by that? Can you tell me more? Because you might meet someone who says they believe in God, but after only asking a couple questions, you could find out that they actually might be Muslim or they might be Hindu and, and, and they might just be some other version of Western spirituality in general, or they might, not, they might just believe in God like they believe in Santa Claus. Just because they say they believe in God does not mean that they are on the same level of understanding of him as you are. So once you know what they mean and you can understand what they're claiming, most people make those claims and those, those, those beliefs about God because of some personal experience that we've had. Whether it's we had a family member that we prayed to God um, to heal and he never did. Or we, we, had, we watched something on the news and didn't know how to make sense of it. All of us and our beliefs about the things that are higher than us and the God that is above us the way that we respond to that comes from trying to make sense out of what we see around us. So once we know what the other person believes, we can ask them, how'd you get there? How do you believe that? What has shown you that that is true in your life? It's called a motivation question. What's motivating them to that position? Why do they believe it? How did they come to that conclusion? So can you tell me more about it? What makes, 
can you help me understand more about what you believe? Then once you know what it is, you can ask them how they got to that conclusion. Because the thing is, if we don't know that, we don't know how the gospel of Jesus speaks to that person specifically. We know that Jesus died for the whole world and that he loves all of us and that he cares about all of us. But there's something about knowing exactly where in your life Jesus meets you that makes it so impactful and powerful. So once we know what they believe and why they believe it, we can know exactly where to show them the gospel in the Bible. And those are the leading questions. The motivation questions come from Romans 5.16. While we were still helpless at the right time, at the exact right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He came and met us exactly where we are. Our outreach pastor, uh, Austin Cooper, talks about this all the time, that there are no random encounters, that God meets people right where they are. And that's what our whole, what our whole outreach ministry is all about, is, is focusing on meeting people where they are and showing them the love of God where they are. And this is how we do that through those conversations. And when we ask the leading questions, John 1:46 says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him, that'd be his brother. Come and see, Philip answered. This verse comes from a story where Philip goes and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is from a town that a lot of people don't like in his area. I don't think a lot of good prominent people can come from there. And so when Philip comes to his brother and he says, hey, you need to come see this guy. He's awesome. And he's like, I don't know, man. This is how I see the world. This is how I understand things. Nazareth isn't a really great town. What good things could come from there? Philip asks him a leading question by saying the statement, come and see. Why don't you come and see? Have you considered that this could be true? What if it's true? Hey, this other person says, I believe that God is real, but he hates everybody. And I believe that because I asked him to take all the evil out of the world, but he never did. So he must not love the whole world. Hey, have you ever considered that Jesus, he might actually love the whole world in a way that we couldn't understand and it could be different? That's how it works. We ask those questions to lead to this point. So have you ever considered as a type of leading question that we can use once we know clearly what they believe and why they believe it in order to bring the good news of Jesus exactly where the other person is? And the entire time, we're just asking questions because not only do questions invite the other person in to be a part of the conversation, but it also shows them that we really do care about them and what they believe. If we didn't, we would just give them a half-baked cookie-cutter version of, of, of presenting the gospel um, and not care about their individuality and their personhood. It works, guys, and here's how I know it works. There's a guy that came to our church um, and came to um, our college ministry, and the days that he came, he answered all the questions correctly. He said everything right, um, and if I would have only interacted with him during our times in that ministry, I would have thought that he was a completely committed and devoted follower of Jesus. But something in the back of my mind said, hey, you need to go out and get lunch with him. And so I did. And we went and we ate. And through our conversation, I started using these questions. Hey, tell me more about how you grew up. Tell me more about what you believe. Tell me more about how you got to that conclusion. Once I asked those questions, I started to realize this guy doesn't actually know Jesus like it looks like he does. In fact, he, he has believed his entire life that God just wants him to do good things and do all the right things. So his hope is baked on this. He believes that all of his love and affection that he gets from Jesus is there because he did everything right. So what's gonna happen when he does something wrong? Is he gonna think that God doesn't love him? Because that wouldn't be true. So I told him, hey, have you ever considered that there might be more to this? And after asking him those questions and asking him about 
his relationship with the good news of Jesus, it became clear that he was not saved. He was not a follower of Jesus. And so I asked him, would you like to have that relationship with Jesus and be sure, 100% sure, that you will be with Jesus forever? And he said, yes. And that night that young man got saved and he encountered a full life with Jesus for the first time. And it was awesome. And the entire time I was shaking because I was like, I don't want to do this wrong. I don't want to mess this up. I want to do everything right. Um, But all I did was ask those questions and invited him in. And he continued the conversation. He never walked away. He never uh, didn't want to be a part of it because his heart was yearning for it. And what's crazy is, I'll wrap it up right here. At the beginning of verse 15, Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's actually the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is not be ready to give a defense. It is honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ. That's the Greek, ver- Greek version of the, the, the Hebrew word Messiah, the chosen one of God. He is the Lord. He is Adonai. He is the leader of your life. Honor the Messiah as the boss of your life, holy, separate, and different from anyone else. And that is why you can look at these conversations and say, I do not fear, even though it might shake my bones inside me like it did the, the, the people of Jerusalem when the Assyrians surrounded them, ready to kill them. There might be severe anxiety in it, but we have hope and we have faith that even if the end of our conversation might not result in having this person be saved, even if that's true, Jesus loves them and he cares enough about them that he died for them. And we may not see the fruit at the end of that conversation, but we can trust that Jesus will still work in their life and he doesn't have to have it end with us. There is hope there. And if you're listening to all of this, and like I said at the beginning, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus or none of this makes sense. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've heard all this and you're like, man, I'm confused. I just want to tell you that the Bible tells you that you can have this same assuredness and this same peace that a follower of Jesus can have as they try to share the best news of the world with someone who may completely reject it. You can have that same peace. So let me ask you, what do you believe about God? How did you come to that conclusion? May it be that you didn't understand from the beginning? Could it be that there could be more for you, both in this life and the life to come, if you follow Jesus? I want to let you know that if you're interested in a relationship with Jesus, all you got to do is turn to Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can Google it. Bible Gateway has the whole thing. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, that you will be saved. Just like that young man was when he came to our ministry and I asked those questions to him. And like I was when the Holy Spirit asked those questions to me in my own life. So what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Do you want a relationship with Jesus? Because you can have it and you can have these answers, the answers that we need. And you can have the faith to trust him when we don't get the answers. If you're interested, DM us. It's right here on the screen. These are your options and how you can reach out to us. We would love to partner with you in that. But until then, um, we are gonna keep at this. We are gonna keep following Jesus. We are gonna keep sharing him with the people around us. Um, and if, if they don't want it, that's their decision. And we get to trust that Jesus will make all things work together for the good of those who do call on him. And he will come back one day and we'll have a lot of fun on that day. But until then, um, we love you guys. um, And we are looking forward to the day that we get to meet again um, here in person, which may be sooner than we expect. Until then, we're here. We love you guys. um, And we will see you next time.
Bye.